couple weeks ago, I um, upgraded my phone, my cell phone. I'm not, a, I'm not a quick upgrade. I tend to hang on things for a long time. Case in point, when I took my phone to have it upgraded, she looked at it, and she had to transfer all the data from my old phone to my new phone, and she looked at it, and she says, wow, I haven't seen one of these in a long time. How long you had this? And she didn't know what button to push. She didn't know where to get my old information. Then she looked at it, and then she called the guy from the back and says, can you come on up here and help me with this phone? So I'm standing there, and he comes up, he looks at it, and says, wow, I haven't seen one of these in a long time. How long you had this? And I'm thinking, I get the idea. I've had this a long time. I know. It's chisel and stone. Can you just help me get the information from this phone to this phone? So I finally, we finally got the information transferred. So then I've got this, this new phone. And I use Google, Gmail, and I sync everything up with that. And after I was syncing everything, then I've got all these little bells and whistles and notifications going off. I have no idea what's coming in or what's going on. I'm looking at this thinking, I didn't even know I had this. I have all these apps. But this whole idea that you can sync up with, with, with life um, in one phone. Now, I have my, my email. I have everything that I need to be in contact with, phone numbers, everything. So syncing is an amazing, amazing tool. I just heard yesterday, by the way, that there is even an app now that mothers and fathers can sync up their phones with their baby's pacifier so that with the pacifier synced up with the phone, they can be somewhere else in the room and look at their phone and say, well, my baby has a fever or has a GPS. Now they know where their baby is. My thinking is if you need an app and a pacifier to know where your baby is, you've got bigger problems. <laughs> you come home, the baby's around here somewhere. Check the phone. We have an app for that. All right, so this can get a little bit out of hand. All right, well, let me just shift gears a little bit, talk about Lent, then we'll get back to sinking. Not sinking, but sinking our lives. Lent is the 40 days prior to Easter. It's a season in which Christians are invited to spend time in self-examination, reflection, um, spiritual practices such as silence or solitude or fasting. Scripture reading are ways that we can look at our lives. It's a season of repentance. Now, that's kind of a word that we probably have heard all our life, and maybe we have definitions of it that just kind of roll right off of us. When we think of repentance, it's a word that literally means to change direction, to rethink our life, to rethink the way in which we are going. Well, the season of Lent is not one of the more heavily participated seasons, and I think Partly for that reason, it's because we're invited to look at our life. We're invited to examine our life, to be honest about our life, our soul, the condition of our life, if you will. It's sort of like the times that we know someone who feels that something is not right with them physically, and we say, go see the doctor, but they won't. They won't go see the doctor. Or, you know, you have something going on with yourself, and you should go see the doctor, but you won't go see the doctor, because if you do, what? You're going to probably find out that there's something going on. I think many times in our own spiritual journey, I don't want to take a look at my life because I know what I'm going to see. I know what I'm going to find. And maybe I don't, but when I do, then I'm going to have to do something about it. I'm going to have to do something about the attachments in my life, the idols in my life, even the habits in my life. So let's get back to sinking. As I thought about the season of Lent, the next 40 days, 
I thought of how for me it felt like that what I would be doing is syncing my life up with the life of Jesus. As I take time to listen, to examine my life, to pay attention to my life, to be honest about my life and where I need to rethink the direction of my life and my soul. It's about me syncing my life back up with the life of Jesus and the way of Jesus. It's not to come to some agreement on a theological concept. It's to allow my life to be shaped and guided by a way of living, or as some would often say, the Jesus way. I think when we think about sinking our life with Jesus, I could be wrong here, but I think sometimes when we think about living in the Jesus way, we may have this impression that maybe we're going to all of a sudden have to become much more religious, much more spiritual, that somehow all of a sudden all the fun out of life is going to go. But what if we shifted and began to look at it this way and said, maybe when we sink our life with Jesus, what we find out is we really do come to an understanding of how to live well. To live in the way of Jesus is to live with a deeper sense of freedom, is to live with a deeper sense of, of joy. It's to live with a deeper sense of abundance about life. That's what it means to live in the way of Jesus to sink our lives with him. One person puts it this way. The invitation to follow the way of Jesus doesn't help us cope with the busy lives we have or support our quest for the American dream. It offers us a radical alternative to the ways of this world that are making us hurried, weary, and tired. We're being invited to discover a way of life in surrender to the master that is more fulfilling and free than any way that we could imagine or make for ourselves. In other words, when I sink my life with Jesus, it's a way of experiencing more freedom, more abundance, more joy. I almost am super challenged to say this for myself, but part of what I would know and realize in a very simple way is I know that I'm becoming more synced with Jesus if I'm becoming a more loving person. I know that I'm becoming more synced with Jesus if I'm becoming a more joyful person. That's a question maybe we could ask ourselves. Am I becoming more joyful? Am I more loving? And what does that say about me? What does it say about us during this time of self-examination? Well, as I reflected on this, I thought about Philippians 2 that was read this morning by Kevin. I noticed one day while looking at this passage that it was right in the middle of Philippians. There's four chapters, and I don't think the writers who edited the Bible had this in mind, but what it reminded me is that this idea of Jesus, both corporately and individually, is to be at the very center of our living, living in the way of Jesus. In the very center of this letter, you have this, this hymn, literally a hymn about who Jesus is and how Jesus is, and how Jesus lived, and what that way looks like. And as I read that and see it's right in the center of Philippians, it says to me, this is what it means to live in the way of Jesus at the very center of our life together as a body, at the very center of our life individually. What does that look like? Well, Paul's letters were written to whole congregations. So Paul's words need to be heard first as a body. Listen to this beginning of chapter 2, and I'll reread it um, in this different version. Your life in Christ makes you strong, and his love comforts you. You have fellowship with the Spirit, and you have kindness and compassion for one another. I urge you then, 
to make me completely happy by having the same thoughts, sharing the same love, and being one in soul and mind. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or from a cheap desire to boast, but be humble toward one another, always considering others better than yourselves, and look out for one another's interests, not just your own. If there is this central mark of a faith community, a church or a congregation, a meeting that is in sync with the way of Jesus and the mind of Christ, it is this word humility. This virtue of life that leads us to always consider others first, to pay attention to the interest of others rather than always making it about ourselves. There is this book that just came out written by a couple named Tom and Joni Schultz. They've been in youth ministry for years. And the book is simply entitled, Why People Don't Come to Church Anymore. And the first part of it just simply, just simply illustrates why people don't come in large part. And you could probably guess, I've shared this before, why people generally don't come. It's because on one level, they feel like most people that go to church, right, wrong, or indifferent, as they say, perception is reality. Right, wrong, or indifferent, they feel most people that go to church are judgmental. They feel most people that go are, tend to be a little bit hypocritical. I feel that most people who go tend to not walk their talk. And as I said, perception is reality, so I could argue all day whether they're right or wrong, but that's what they perceive. What Tom and Joni Schultz say is one of the greatest acts of love that churches can do to be attractive and to be welcoming to people outside the church is simply to live with humility. A deep sense of we really know better than you, we're walking the same journey that you are. We have the same struggles. We have the same issues. We sometimes have the same questions, but we're all walking by grace. We're all in need of God's love. Humility invites me to not always see it my way, but to see it from the other person's point of view and to learn from them. Humility welcomes others into my life as a gift and welcomes their gifts as well and invites me to receive them as much as give to them. Humility calls me not to look out just for my interests, but to consider and look out for the interests of others as well, to welcome their opinions, to be open to their ideas, and to be willing to do it their way also. One of the most profound, life-changing practices that one can engage in is this sense of humility. One person puts it this way, pride makes us artificial. Humility makes us real. I am who I am, simply by God's grace, taking this journey with you. What would it look like in our life, in your life, if we took a day or a week or a month or 40 days and we just began to see life from the other person's point of view, to step in their shoes? What if we made it a practice to welcome their gifts into our life, and to receive from them what they have to offer? What if we began to just look to other people's interests as well and not just be focused on my own self-interest or your own self-interest? The other thing that Paul says here besides humility is this idea of servanthood. The attitude, he says, that you should have is one that Christ Jesus had of his own free will. He gave up all he had, and he took the nature of a servant. When we sync up our life with the way of Jesus, our lives are marked by these two things, humility and servanthood. They go hand in hand. And to talk 
about the way of Jesus is to live in such a way that we cease competing with others and we start serving others. It's no longer about having all the power, but giving up our power and serving in the best interests of the other person. When we think of service, we probably think of things that happen here at the church, which is very important. Serving here in the church, we, we do our service and we serve God this way. But what does it look like to serve outside the walls? What does it look like to serve people within your family? What does it look like to serve your neighbors? What does it look like to live with humility and servanthood with those that are closest to you? Richard Foster, Quaker writer, talks about this idea of true service, uh, acts of service in our life that we can make part of our daily lifestyle. He lists a few things. He calls or he talks about the service of hiddenness, doing those things which remains unknown to others. What acts of service can you do for someone that you don't even have to tell them? You just do it. The service of small things, simple assistance in helping others through just very simple acts. I know that for Linda and I, and these may seem very trivial, and maybe not to us, maybe to others, but these very service of small things can, can include something as simple as unloading the dishwasher. I mean, there have been mornings I've looked at the dishwasher and I'm thinking, ah, she'll get to that. But then I'm thinking, well, why don't I just unload the dishwasher? And then Linda appreciates that. We have this other, this other unspoken rule in our house that the last one out of bed gets to do what? Make the bed. And since Linda's a little bit more of a morning person than I am, I'm sometimes always the last one out of bed. But every now and then, the, last, the first one out of bed will go ahead and make the bed. You see, it's just little things like this. This isn't a marriage seminar, but I will say this. <laughs> I will say this. One of, one of the key reasons that couples begin to drift is they forget how to serve each other. They take each other for granted. They forget those little things that will just help the other person's day go a little bit easier. And that goes for all of life. The service of allowing others to serve us, Richard Foster says, the service of common courtesy toward one another, opening doors for other people, saying thank you, leaving good tips, uh, doing these kinds of things which are just common courtesy and help build up the civility of life around us. The other day I was at Harris Teeter trying to go through the uh, express line, and they always ask, I don't carry VIC cards, I don't carry food line cards, I don't have those little things on my key ring, and I was kind of in a hurry, and I was going through it, and, and the woman that t- to the left of me, I saw she was kind of in my space, and I couldn't figure out what she was doing, and she reached across me, and I realized she was trying to let her VIC card be used for my purchase. And I looked at her, and they'd already rung it up, and had already uh, put the stuff in the bag, and I was kind of in a hurry, and I, she walked around me, went over to the uh, customer service desk to do something else. And I started to walk out the door, and I thought, you know what? She really gave a good effort, even though it didn't work out. So I went up to her and scared her a little bit because I touched her on the arm and she didn't see me coming. I said, I really want to thank you for your effort. Uh, Sorry it didn't work out, uh, but I'll be back here tomorrow about 3 (laughs) o'clock. 
some of these common, simple efforts of courtesy. The service of listening intently to one another. The service of bearing each other's burdens. You kind of get the idea. Just very small acts of service, which may seem very inconsequential in the moment, but are huge towards simply emptying ourselves of our own agenda, of our own self-interest, and trying to find ways to live in the way of Jesus. You know, I've been talking about the cell phones. And as I was thinking about this, I got to thinking, well, I could take this one step further. Some of you have Bluetooth. Some of you have wireless. And Bluetooth is simply the wireless system where you can Bluetooth on your phone and you can connect it with wireless on your car. You have Bluetooth on your, uh, your, your printers, Bluetooth on your TVs, whatever. Whatever it is, it's wireless. There's no wires that are needed. It, the, these invisible these invisible uh, connections are made, and it, 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 one affects the other. I got to thinking about this. I thought, well, maybe in modern language, maybe this is the role of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> maybe the Holy Spirit is really the Bluetooth that connects us with the living Christ, that connects us with Jesus, so that we have the same attitude as Jesus, that syncs us with the mind of Christ. In those moments when I just want to live for myself, in those moments when I just want to serve my own self-interest, in those moments when I just want to make my agenda, I hear this voice. I feel this prompting. I feel this nudging. And it's in that moment that I realize that the Spirit is seeking to sync me up with Jesus and say there's a better way. There's a different way. It's the way of Jesus. Live in this way, the way of humility the way of service, the way of kindness, the way of love, the way, Scott, of not always making it about you, but of making it about others. So maybe this season of Lent, if you do any kind of self-examination, if you like that language, use it as a time to think about how we or you, how us, can sync our life back up with the mind of Christ, with Jesus and to live in a way that really does free us and enable us to live lives of joy and lives of service.